Chapter 3. That Old Catastrophe. My father's death was a queer business. Queer in every sense of that multivalent word. It was strange, certainly, in its deviation from the normal course of things. It was suspicious, perhaps even counterfeit. It put my family in a bad position. It thwarted and ruined each of us in particular ways. It left me feeling qualmish, faint, and occasion uh, drunk. But most compellingly at the time, his death was bound up for me with the one definition conspicuously missing from our mammoth Webster's. Only four months earlier, I had made an announcement to my parents. I am a lesbian. My homosexuality remained at that point purely theoretical, an untested hypothesis. But it was a hypothesis so thorough and convincing that I saw no reason not to share it immediately. The news was not received as well as I had hoped. There was an exchange of difficult letters with my mother. Then a phone call in which she dealt a staggering blow. Your father has had affairs with other men. I had been upstaged, demoted from protagonist in my own drama to comic relief in my parents' tragedy. I'd imagined my confession as an emancipation for my parents, but instead I was pulled back into their orbit. And with my father's death following so hard on the heels of this doleful coming out party, I cannot help but assume a cause and effect relationship. If I had not felt compelled to share my little sexual discovery, perhaps the semi would have passed without incident four months later. Why had I told them? I haven't even had sex with anyone yet. Conversely, my father had been having sex with men for years and not telling anyone. The line that Dad drew between reality and fiction was indeed a blurry one. To understand this, one only had to enter his library. For anyone but the landed gentry to refer to a room in their house as the library might seem affected, but there really was no other word for it. And if my father liked to imagine, imagine himself as a 19th century aristocrat overseeing his estate from behind the leather-topped mahogany and brass Second Empire desk, did that require such a leap of the imagination? Perhaps affectation can be so thoroughgoing, so authentic in its details, that it stops being pretense and becomes, for all practical purposes, real. The library was a fantasy, but a fully operational one. Visitors always ask the same question about the massive walnut bookcase. So, Bruce, have you read all of those? Not yet. Part of my dad's country squire routine involved edifying the villagers, his, most, his more promising high school students. The promise was very likely sexual in some cases, but whatever else might have been going on, books were being read. Dad was passionate about many writers, but he had a particular reverence for Fitzgerald. My mother had sent him a biography of Fitzgerald before they married, when Dad was in the army. He'd been drafted after dropping out of his graduate English program, overwhelmed with the workload. References to the biography crept into his letters to her. The tales of, Sc the tales of Scott and Zelda's drunk and outrageous behavior captivated him. It cannot have escaped my father's notice that during Scott's own stint in the army, he wrote his first novel and began courting Zelda. Dad's letters to Mom, which had not been particularly demonstrative up to this point, began to grow lush with Fitz Fitzgerald-esque sentiment. After the biography, he tore through Fitzgerald's stories, seeing himself in various characters. Dad does not mention identifying with the character of Jimmy Gantz, but the parallels are unavoidable. Gatsby's self-willed metamorphosis from farm boy to prince is in many ways identical to my father's. That was Fun Home by Alison Bechtel, and this is Book Nookie. I'm your host, Brian. Today's guest is my good friend, Will Seacrest. Will is a creative writer and a self-described failed English teacher. 
He's a philosopher, and he loves books, possibly more than any other person I know. Here we are talking about his favorite book, Fun Home. Let's get straight into it with the new, my new intro segment that I've just invented, which is Elevator Pitch. So I'm going to give you two minutes to convince someone to read the book. And you can say anything you want, what it's about, why you love it. Just like two minutes, convince one of your coworkers to read this book. Okay. All right? All right. And then I'll just start timing when you start talking. Okay. Um, God, I'm bad at elevator pitches. Uh, so it's a, it's a graphic... It's a graphic novel, which is like saying it's a fancy name for a comic book, but it's not, it is not a comic book. You know, this book came out, I think in like, what, like 2006. And I don't know. It's kind of like when you hear about Mouse, where it's just like this mixture of memoir and um, like the graphic form. I, I'm so bad at advertising. It's a, it's a story about um, a woman who grew up in rural Pennsylvania, uh, who comes out as a lesbian in college and then not that soon afterwards her father dies and she finds out this entire story about her father being a closeted homosexual who had uh, three kids um, in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And it's about her reckoning with her sexuality, her reckoning with her dad's sexuality. It's about both of their relationships. It's about the unprocessed trauma that her father kind of lived through. Um, so like the whole thing's about family and memory and it's done through the lens of, cause the father was a high school English teacher. So it's done through the lens of modernist literature. And so it really is like it, the book sells itself to any English major. Um, it makes you feel smarter after you read it, which is something I appreciate as kind of a dummy. There you go. Elevator pitch. You're done. Oh yeah. Brilliant. That was one minute and 25 seconds. Look at that. That was that was beautiful. I'm so efficient. That was amazing. That was really well done. You started off by saying I'm not very good at this, and then you nailed it. Brian. You crushed it. I'm not good at compliments. That was great. <laughs> that was really well done. Um, and you managed to, I think, really <laughs> succinctly explain what the book is about, which is kind of now the next segment. Um what is the book about? Yeah. But uh, I guess to add to what you already said, what else? I don't know. Is there anything else that you think is important for someone to know before we get into talking about it too much? Like it's um. so it's one of those things where you have friends that only read comics and they get a little freaked out by how serious the book is. Um, and then you have friends that only read literature that are a bit snobbish about the graphic novel form. And so it's that weird thing where, like, it's probably the best comic that I've ever read, but it's also just as a work of literature, and especially a work of memoir, it's easily the best memoir I've ever read. And so it's always, I don't know, it's like whenever I recommend the book, like, there's usually some kind of a hang-up, because there'll be people that, like, only read memoirs that, like, are a little bit apprehensive about, like, you know, it's like, oh, it's a comic book, it's for kids, that kind of a thing. Or, like, you know, it's, or people that, like, are really into the Marvel comics, which is, like, obviously nothing wrong with that. And then trying to get them to kind of read this book about, like, you know, real actual pain, um, which is something that comic, like, comics are not associated with real actual human emotional pain. Um, 
and that's why, like, you know, When Mouse Came Out or uh, Blankets is another book that kind of, I think Blankets came out. Did you ever read that one? I haven't, no. It was Craig Thompson, and it came around, I think, around the same time. And that was kind of like a one-two punch where, like, people read Fun Home and then they read Blankets. Um, there's actually, I think, like, a pretty good interview on the internet with uh, Beck Dolan, Craig Thompson. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really kind of, and really kind of opened it up. I mean, like, and Mouse, Mouse was there, like, for years and years, but, like, no one ever really kind of wanted to do that again. I think Mouse is a good parallel because... I mean, at least in my experience, everyone was forced to read it in school Mm -hmm. and everyone was like, holy shit, that was good. Mm -hmm. And so to be like, I know you haven't read, you might not read graphic novels or you you might only read comic books, but... And the, like, par- and, the par- and the parallel is good because, like, you know, <clears throat> uh, both of them are about a relationship between a child and the father and the father who dealt with something, the father who never dealt with, like, the central problem in their life. Um, one was surviving the Holocaust and the other one was being gay in Pennsylvania, which are obviously not the same thing, but they're, they're pretty similar. <laughs> like, it's where you're... They're both traumatic. They're both traumatic. Um, and like, you know, that's what both books are about is about being the child of someone who went through a trauma, um, and having that parent not go through that trauma or it's like having a parent that's suicidal. Um, and, and so that's kind of like, it's, it's pretty heavy. I mean, like, you know, and that's, it kind of betrays like, you know, how people think about comics. And of course it's like, it's 2019. So I highly doubt anyone even has these hangups that the people had in 2006 when the book came out. But, like, I remember reading this in college and being like, oh, what? Comics? And that kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll find out if people have those hang-ups when we get into our Goodreads reviews oh, segment. Um, so it's a, so it's fully autobiographical, right? Mm-hmm. And so the main character is sort Al- of Allison, sort of also her dad in some ways. Because mm-hmm. mostly her story unfolds through his story unfolding, mm-hmm. or that segment of his story. Yeah. Um, and then he's married to her mom and then they have, she has two brothers. She has two brothers who don't really, they're kind of in the background. They don't get really portrayed too much, but it's about her and her father. And then the mother's also pretty much a secondary character. And you know, when she wrote the follow-up to this, which is, I think, uh, are you my mother? It's essentially just, um, like, you know, if this is about her and her dad through the realm of literature, the, um, the sequel is about her and her mom through the realm of psychology. Um, and so you can tell like where there's a lot that she wanted to say more about her mother, like while reading the book, I mean, there's this really beautiful chapter where some mother was an actress and is in this Oscar Wilde play. And, you know, Bechtel's so good at, you know, using, like using the stories of literature kind of, you know, she compares her dad to Proust or Wilde or something like that. And like I was, when you were talking about that, where it is kind of a dual protagonist book, where they're both binary stars. And like, you know, she really early on in the first chapter, she compares uh, him to uh, Daedalus and Icarus. And, you know, that's that great, you know, that prototypical kind of father and child. Like, you know, I invented this thing and you died because of it. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's like the metaphor that opens and closes yes. the yeah. book. Um, Which is beautiful. I mean, I don't know if you were like, so I was kind of like a geeky fifth grader and like I loved reading Greek mythology and stuff. Um, and it's, it's gorgeous. It really is. And his death was officially an accident. She suspects it was suicide. Yeah. And so that's sort of a theme throughout as well. Like the uncertainty that she has around that. Yeah. 
know, that's, I mean, I think that's kind of, that's the main story right there. Yeah. And that's like, you know, and like, you know, the, the point is not whether he committed suicide, but the point is where she's like, yeah, I can imagine him committing suicide because he was gay in a hostile town to, I don't know. So like my, this book kind of messed me up, um, reading in 2006 and rereading it now after I came out really messed me up. Um, both of our fathers died um, when they were in their mid-40s. Um, her and I both come from Pennsylvania. Both and I both kind of came from that, like a household with like a little bit of neglect. Um, and the thing is, like my dad, my dad died from an asthma attack, but he smoked like a pack a day. And so I could do the same thing. Or it's just like, what kind of a person smokes a pack a day who has asthma attacks? And it's someone who's suicidal whether he actually wanted to commit suicide or not, like, you know, it's kind of incidental. It's just like, that's, you know, you know, you know you, there's these chapters where she's talking about, you know, speculating whether it's like, well, did he kill himself or was it really an accident? And it's just like, yeah, I don't know, that hit home for me. Yeah. 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 Um, so you first read in 2006 mm -hmm. when it came out? Uh, yeah, 2006, 2007. I was still in college. How did you... How did you come across it? I, you know, like everyone else you're going to have on this podcast, I spent too much time in bookstores. And it was just, I think it was on the, sh and I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, um, saw the cover and I just picked it up and yeah, it kind of it blew me away. Um, at the time I was studying to be a high school English teacher. And like, you know, there's, you read this book about a closeted high school English teacher and you're like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, didn't really know how to respond to it, like, you know, at the time. Um, but yeah, I read it then, and then I reread it, I think, four years ago, and then I reread it for this podcast. Um, and, like, you know, each time, like, you know, there's, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know, you read a book in your 20s, and it's just like, oh, I think I kind of get this. And then you read a book when, you know, you're 32 or 33, and you're like, oh, God damn it, I was a kid then. I didn't really understand this. And I'm sure I'll read this book again when I'm 45 and, you know, find something else. Yeah. So when you first read it, did you feel like you loved it at that point? Or were you like not maybe too loved, uncertain about like how? Yeah, I I loved it, but it wasn't my favorite book. Um, and it's the kind of thing where, you know, you read something or you spend time with a movie or a, a record and, you know, it just slowly seeps into your bones. And like, you know, it just becomes more and more relevant over time. So like, I don't remember what my favorite book was, you know, in college, um, but it wasn't this. And I'm sure it was something like a little more highfalutin and pretentious. Um, and it's always strange, like, you know, it's a book podcast and I come with the comic book essentially, but it's... We're not pretentious here. No, I know. <laughs> we accept all books equally for who they are. Yeah, but it's, um, but it is, it's like, I, I've, I, don't, I, I can't think of really any book that... I mean, there are other major novels written by lesbians, and there's other um, graphic novels that deal with like you know similar source material, like like Malice or something. Um, but it's it's very much it's a genre of one. I can't really think of anything else like this book. Had you read? Had you been reading graphic novels before that? Like, you probably read Mouse before yeah. this. Yeah. But I'm assuming that was a school assignment oh, no. No, or had, just I, for fun. No, I had a friend give it to me, and then. Uh, and I remember reading that, and I, like, didn't go to class for three days. I'm just kind of completely incapacitated. Because, like, it, it was around the same time that I found out that I had family that died in the Holocaust. And, you know, that that book is... The mouse is too much. Um, 
and but it was like it was like that year because I had I had a friend who was two years older than me who was very into comics and uh and he grew up in like you know a fundamentalist household and he gave me blankets because I think blankets to him was what like fun home was to me and I remember reading blankets in like a day um after I had mouse and then fun home kind of came pretty close after that so it was just like three very serious like you know yeah um comic book memoirs um but yeah yeah did you feel like when you read it that first time were you like this is too real maybe to like fully embrace it or were you like yeah or were you i don't know how the so it's hard to read because it's Allison and Bruce versus the dad and it's hard to read Bruce um because like you know he's trying so hard not to be what he is um and the first time I read the book it was very much a surface level of reading where I'm like oh look at all these Bruce quotes this is great you know yeah um how beautiful and like and, and, and it meant something to me but like I've at the time I couldn't really articulate I at the time I couldn't really articulate my own homosexuality back to myself. Um, and like, you know, it's because like I, I came from the same environment that she did where it's just like, you know, Pennsylvania is not the most friendly place to gay people. There are worse places, but still, it's still not, it's not the Northwest. Well, especially rural. Yeah. And like, that's like where I went to college. And so like, I like, yeah. Yeah. So the first time I read it, it was, it was very much like a, like a surface level like reading of it but like you know it just it stuck with me and i can never really tell not not only could i not tell other people about it but i couldn't really tell myself about it um and yeah just reading it again you kind of i don't know you pick up on things that i just didn't really realize the first time you know there's this really great moment where you know she's in college on the phone with her parents and she talks about this completely, you know, finding out that her father was gay or like, you know, admitting that she was gay, kind of reorganized how she viewed her own history. Um, which is something that like, you know, I never really expected, you know, cause like coming out is kind of like this process. Um, and I never really expected it to really fundamentally reorient, um, my history and the way that I related to other people. And she like, does a really good job capturing that. And she does an especially good job capturing what happens to a person when they don't come out, which is, you know, the story of her father, you know, gets married and like, you know, has these three kids, but is like manic depressive and like has these outbursts of anger and gets like really obsessive with certain things. And there are certain moments where like, you know, I'm reading this book, I'm like, ah, oh, man, fuck you. Where it's like, uh, like she talks about her father kind of hiding in this fantasy land of novels. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That's too much. That's... <laughs> but I feel personally attacked. I feel personally attacked. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I got this book. And so when you asked me, this is like, yeah, what's your favorite book? Like, I, I could have brought in, like, ten other novels that, you know, we, we've talked about over the five years of our friendship. But, like, this is the one that, like, you know, I've, like, I've, I love this book. Like, I genuinely really, really love this book because it articulates something that I can't really, that I can't really articulate to myself or to other people, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, like, personally, the books that I love are the books that I feel like are saying something that I want to say, but in a way that I 
couldn't have done myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you just took something out of my brain somehow and yeah. put it on paper like it 50 years before I yeah. even existed. Yeah. And did it better. <laughs> um, had you read Proust before you read this? No. no. You just thought Proust is cool. Yeah. I mean, and like any other literature major, I mean, there's just like, I mean, cause there's this wonderful part about Ulysses too. Um, and so like, you know, as a, as a burgeoning English teacher, like, you know, like studying this stuff, um, and then you read it, um, I thought it was, I don't know, I thought it was really beautiful, the way she kind of intertwined, like, you know, those biographical parts of these really famous authors, um, and like, you know, the, the older that you get, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you're 17, you still think rock stars are cool. And then like 20 years later, you're like, oh, you were messed up. This is like, what, like, how, like, how did this happen to you? Um, it's the same thing with authors that you love where it's just like, you know, I mean, if they didn't have any pain to express, they wouldn't have been expressing in the first place. Um, and so like, you know, you love the arts there, but like, you know, if you really love these writers, I mean, like you just you feel so bad for them and like, you know, you want to go back in time give them a hug that kind of a thing yeah you know Tell and so like you know Al, okay. like, yeah so like Alison Bechdel had this really challenging she had a very challenging life dealing with you know a mother who neglected her and a suicidal father and like you don't want that for her but like you know you're so happy this book exists especially if you're someone else who had a mom who neglected them and had a suicidal father and who was in the closet and yeah 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 the the, par the parallels to it i mean like it's the, it messes me up a little bit um yeah when you when it stuck with you after the first time you read it and between rereading it was it like something that you consciously often thought of or was it sort of like you just had this sense of like uh oh this i've been seen yeah <laughs> yeah and you know it's kind of hard to talk about because like, I, I didn't come out of the closet until I was um, 32. Um, and so like, that's, it's that thing that you kind of, you know it about yourself, but like, you can't really, you can't really talk about it. Um, and like, you know, I've, I knew it about myself, but I couldn't, I couldn't express it. And like, you, you feel like a bit trapped. Um, so like looking back, rereading all the Bruce parts where you're like, Oh my God. Like, the guy's essentially, like, a monster to the people around him. Um, and, like, that's a little bit, that's a little bit inexcusable. Um, or a lot inexcusable. But, like, you know, the, but it's weird reading, you know, this person who actually existed and being like, I, I get it. It's like, I've done the same thing. I've, I've flipped out and I've gotten so angry. Um, there's a great book uh, that I read earlier in the year called The Velvet Rage by uh, Alan Downs and it's just like the book is a written by a therapist and to kind of describe someone who's just like Bruce where it's just like and if you can't authentically be who you actually are everything around you just becomes this you just get the source of anger um that you can't that you can't really necessarily articulate to people um so yeah like you know rereading it when did you read it the second time I want to say maybe like 26. Um, and so I reread it the second time and like, you know, I, I got a little bit more of it because at that point in my life, I was trying to reconcile my childhood with the person that I became. Um, 
And so, like, the first time I read it, it was very much the surface level, like, oh, my God, I, this person loves books. I love books, that kind of a thing. And the second time, I got more of the family dynamic. And then the third time I'm reading it, it's just like, yeah, this is this is what happens to a person when they can't come out of the closet. Um, you try to hide, but, you know, in the straight culture, no matter what you do, you can't really. I mean, no one in, like, it's, it's always that kind of thing where, you know, in my moments of self-pity, I always think, like, like, no one wanted to come out of the closet less than I did. But then, like, you know, you read a book like this, and you're like, oh, it could have been. This is what my life would have been if I was born 40 years um, before. If I was born in the 40s rather than the 80s. It's like my life would have been Bruce. And it's like, it's, it's kind of hard to yeah. stare that shit in the face. You know what I mean? Did you just reread it, like, in the past week? Yeah, I, re- I reread it, like, um, like maybe a couple days ago. Okay. Yeah. Rereading it now, do you feel like... Do you feel more of, do you feel like any sense of relief? Like you see that and you're like, oh, there's the trap and I'm not in that trap anymore. Oh yeah. 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 Very much so. Where it's just like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, this is how it could have gone for me. Um, yeah, this is how it could have gone for me and it didn't. So like, you know, that's, there's like a, there's like a lot of sense of relief. Um, you know, I was talking with someone about this where, it's just like, I can never tell if I relate more to Allison or Bruce. It's because, like, you know, it's like she she does such a good job talking about what it's like to come out. Um, and so it's like, you know, in, in the weird binary star, you know, story of it, like, you know, every time I read this book, I relate a little bit more to either Allison or to Bruce. Um, but I I love Allison Bechtel so much. <laughs> it's just a... I don't know how she did it. Did you know anything about her before you found this book? Had you seen her comic well, I kn- strip? Well, I knew about Dykes to Watch Out For, um, but I've never, like, I don't think I've ever read, like, um, I've never, like, systematically read them. Um, yeah, I found, uh, this is the, fir- the first time that I found out about her. And then, like, you know, years later, you hear about, like, you know, the Bechdel test and all that stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if anyone's like, why have I heard that name? It's probably yeah. the Bechdel test. Yeah, yeah. basically, because um, that was from a strip that she did, I think. It might have been in the 80s. But the Bechdel test is like if there's a movie, um, and there's, like, you know, in order to pass the Bechdel test, there has to, in a movie, there has to be two women, and they have to be talking about something that's not a man. And it's remarkable the amount of films that don't pass this very, very simple yeah. test. <laughs> So a couple of things you've said, I mean, you've highlighted the Proust connection. You mentioned that kind of she is forced to revisit and revise her personal history. You described it as a binary star system of two main characters, which kind of, I feel like all those are connected because like the binary stars orbit each other and they go in circles. And then one of the constructs that she uses in the book is each chapter mostly tells the same story, but just different perspective or there's a revelation that comes out. And then the next chapter, it's kind of like you go back through it, but now you have new information and then you get some new information from that and you do it again. And that feels Proustian and cyclical and orbiting and... All the best, in retrospect, all the best books talk about memory. Um, and it's a really wonderful book that kind of talks about that. I mean, like, the the entire chapter about her and her diary. I mean, I just, it's such, like, a, 
it's such a original way to kind of talk about like you know writing about your own life um yeah because we're both like marquez people marquez talks about memory um bruce is all about memory um and so like you know her trying to look back and this is what i found really fascinating and really adult about the book or i don't know how to describe it it's what I found, I guess, the most the most profound thing I found about the book is that it's her trying to judge, um, or not judge, her trying to... The most profound thing I thought about the book um, is her looking back at her relationship with her father in um, a non-judgmental way. Of, like, looking back, because, like, it's so hard to talk about your parents, and it's so hard to, like, write about your parents, especially in terms of how you grew up. Um... But, you know, it's this master class in looking back at the experience of living with her closeted father and just trying to examine it. Um, to do it in a way where it's not completely non-emotional, but, like, you know, it's that idea of non-judgmental inquiry, which I think kind of separates immature work from mature work. Um, and, like, all of the best novels kind of, like, try to view things in, like, a using that non-judgmental inquiry um because anything else just kind of becomes like a blog post or it becomes like a rant of some kind where you're like you know how dare you how dare you do this to me rather than being like no there's it's important to think about like you know i think about my own mom my own dad and like you know all of the weird ways they messed me up um like you know viewing it from not a place of anger but being like i get it you know, I know enough about my mom and my dad where I, I, I get it. Um, I understand where you kind of came from. Um, and so, like, you know, that doesn't diminish the pain of growing up with both of them in the same way that it doesn't diminish, like, when Allison talks about her dad, it's like, it doesn't diminish the pain. I mean, the pain's always going to be there. Um, but it's just like, what do you do with it? You, you rage against it, and that doesn't do anything. Or, you know, you write a book, and you try to, you try to like, really seriously examine it. Um, and then doing it through, like, you know, I just thought it was genius, doing it through the realm that, that was, like, his world, was his world of literature. Um, and it was just really beautiful. I don't know if that answers your question at all. Yeah. 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 Um, and when you reread it, you're 26-ish, did it affect you in terms of thinking, like, I should come out or like because it because at that point if if that's something you're thinking about then you would have gone beyond the age that allison was in the book when she came oh, no, out yeah so it's sort of like yeah i knew i was so i knew i was gay when i was 17 and for a variety of reasons i i never felt like i could ever come out well when you were 26 and you reread it you were still i yeah i in I, Pennsylvania? Yeah, but like I couldn't I, I couldn't come out. I mean um, you're still in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'm still in Pennsylvania. Um yeah, I couldn't come out. Because like, you know, um like the primary the primary emotional attachment that I had was to someone where if it came out that attachment would have ended. Um and in between The dis yeah. No, I reread it and I reread it. It was um, 
it was more it was more the thing that I got most of out of out of it was family like family dynamics um where I was not ready I was not whenever you read it the second time I was not ready to come out um at all and so I took like a different reading of it you know and that's it's a beautiful thing about you know when it is your favorite book or when it is you know I remember reading um like beloved in college and like you know it's pretty obtuse about the nature of the world and then like I reread it this year and it's just like rereading a completely different book and get something completely different out of it um which like you know is a good case for like rereading like rereading the books that you used to love when you were a kid and seeing if they kind of hold up muster if you get like something new out of it um yeah no yeah when I was 26 it was still there's still too much stuff I had to process yeah yeah you know it's like self-discovery and I don't know if you found this like um, self-discovery is usually kind of uh it's like opening up a door and then there's another door where you're like oh I have dealt with my I've dealt with the grief of my father's death and you're like oh no you open a door and you're like oh actually it's like oh I dealt with the fact that you know like I moved out when I was 15 and my mom kind of dropped me like a sack of shit you move like you know and just like oh there's that but there's also there's also more of it um and you know coming doing all of that work and you know processing you know my weird childhood um at the end of that i was just like oh well yeah like you know i had a friend who's a little bit more emotionally intelligent than i am um i love talking to her um She's a therapist in uh, Santa Monica. And she was just like, well, you never felt safe. And if, like, you don't feel safe, um, they just, it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, and the way I describe it is like I never really had... It was such a hostile environment that, like, I never really felt like I could do it. Which is always the, the weird kind of... Not to keep talking about, you know, the history of American homosexuality or something but like i'm 30 i'll be 34 in a month um i know people who are 44 i know people who are 24 and it's like that i mean that's enough of a generation gap where it's just like you know if you have friends that are in their 40s and friends in their 20s they're it's a pretty different experience um but like you know i'm sandwiched in between uh the internet and the freedom that kind of came from the internet and social media where like you have kids that are 11 and they're like yeah i'm gay and like you know none of their friends have anything like they're just like yeah like he's gay like yeah. it doesn't even like occur to them that like and so I, i'm sandwiched in between that age generation and the generation of the internet and social media and like i remember when matthew shepherd um was murdered and that well, was just like well not safe yeah. Um, and in 26, there was still a lot that I was holding on to where I was like, it's nuts and it's never going to be safe for me to come out. Um, and then, yeah, it finally happened. Yeah. Um, I think the. Please, please edit that. That was so random. That was so oh, that's good. That's really nice. Um, I think kind of the, the, the fundamental question there, I guess, is not so much like that. I think to imagine you reading the book and identifying with the characters, it's like, you know, you see her coming out and you see him not coming out and you see like these parallel timelines and you're like, okay, where do I fall? And as, I mean, I imagine you would compare yourself to it, maybe subconsciously or not. Um, but I think the 
kind of the overall question is really I'm just curious like over that timeline of your own coming out do you feel like this book had an impact on that in terms oh, of like motivating yes. you or driving yeah. you or yeah um it helped me kind of understand myself um and it sounds like a little it let me forgive myself for not coming out when I should have, I should have come out when I was 17. Um, and I mean, that's like kind of like should have kind of thing. There is uh, no should. There is no should. But like I came up, like I feel like I came out pretty late. Um, but like, you know, I mean, at least I came out. Um, and so like, you know, whatever, because, you know, we judge. And I was just talking about non-judgmental inquiry. Um, I still judge myself a lot um, that I didn't come out when I was a teenager. But um, like you didn't, you know, control no, the environment you were no, in when exactly. you were a teenager. No, exactly. Like, and like you know, she does a good job talking about that in the book. I mean, like you know, um, Beach Creek, Pennsylvania is like a major character in the book. Um, Pennsylvania's concept is like a pretty major character in the book. Um, and like you know, she she talks about that about you know what your environment does to you. Um, the book's so important to me because it captured something in me that I couldn't describe to myself. Um, and the book is so important to me because rereading it always lets me forgive myself for not for not coming out, you know, when I was a teenager. It's um, you know, in the pantheon of gay literature, I mean, this is like, this is it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like this this is the most important book written in that decade by a homosexual American writer, easily. Yeah, I think one thing. I thought when you were talking about non-judgmental inquiry is the way that it does go back and forth between like, you have these moments where you see Bruce as this, he seems so evil and horrible. And then you have these other moments where he's just a dad and you're like, Oh yeah, there's a, it's a whole range of things. Like even this guy who, you know, it could be so scary and terrifying at other times is like a pretty good dad for yeah. a brief moment. Yeah. And, and you're like, you can't like, and that, and keeping it in the book is a way of literally saying like, no matter what other stuff happened, like these other bits still, still existed. Exists. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it's even if, even if you, if you have a parent that failed, um, there's still like those moments, obviously, where it's just like, yeah, they, they, they were there and they loved me as much as they could. And like, you know, that's a concept that I've been trying to slowly reconcile with my own upbringing was just like, well, maybe they just did the best that they could. Um, and yeah, like her trying to, her trying to reconcile Bruce and what a monster Bruce was with people around him. Um, while at the same time having that, you know, it's just like, he was still my dad and he still was there and still helped me in like, you know, a certain kind of way, even though he kind of held me back in a certain kind of way. It's, it's intense. I mean, like, you know, outside of the, outside of, you know, it being a work of gay literature, it's also just a masterclass. And, you know, if you grew up with a parent who was in pain or if you grew up with like, you know, a parent who was maybe not the best, um, just that parent-child literature. Um, it's, you can stand alone on that easily. 
when you read it this week, what was like the main thing that you that like stuck out to you this time? There was this moment where, you know, there's the big climax parts of the book that you read, you know, the first or second time where you're like, oh, wow, like, you know, those revelations. But it was kind of, it was the small moments that you notice, you know, rereading a third time where like, you know, that she has that line, I think I mentioned it before about, you know, her reconceiving her entire history after she finds out that after she admits to herself that she's gay and after she finds out that her father's gay, it's just kind of like, oh my God, like it's just, you're these little splinters um, in your history that you can quite pluck out. You can kind of pluck out now. You're like, oh, that's why. That's why that happened, or that's why I felt that way, or that's how I pro. That's why I processed that thing before I even knew about any of this. Did you ever keep a diary at any point? No. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I did, I did, um, but like, you know, I've. I think I threw all of them out. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was very much, I was very much that weird kid that was writing poetry in like a fifth grade recess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always one of us. Yeah. I think the way she presents her diary entries oh, yeah, it's and it's like, yeah. here's what I wrote and here's what actually happened. And like I love the, this thing and it, the, oh my God, I this. think the, I think symbol. Yeah. 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 And then that gets into, her OCD phase. Uh, one thing we should talk about, since this is a graphic novel, is the art style. It's not just all words. Um, and she did all herself. So it's written and illustrated and everything by her. Um, and then you're reading it is a visual experience. So what about, what do you like about it visually? It was great. It was great reading Mouse. Um, and you understand why he uses like the um, animal like symbols. You know what I mean? Because it's something so horrible that you can't really wrap your mind around it. So like, you, know, you don't really want to like doing it. And if he wrote that book in a realistic line drawn way, like it wouldn't have worked. Um, and you read blankets and there's a lot of these moments where it's like, like very fanciful and, you know, there's these really large panels, but, you know, she, she does this as kind of a form following function thing where, you know, she would take, she would dress up like pictures. There's this great lecture you can find online of like, you know, her presenting the book to a book festival in Vermont. She was talking about the mechanics of making the book. Um, but, you know, she would take, she would dress up in her dad's clothes and take Polaroids and then draw Polaroids, um, so she tries to make the lines like you know as as kind of true to form as possible without like you know getting too without like you know getting too um, realistic about it. Um, I thought it worked really great. You know, it's like the, the, everything kind of looks like a polar, and then maybe like once a chapter there'll be like a two-page spread, and like whenever those two-page spreads happens, it, it takes your breath away a little bit. Um, I've, you know, I'm not an expert at all on visual things. I think I'm kind of spatially impaired. You spend your whole life looking at yeah, stuff. I know, You're I know, as I, much an expert as anyone else. But, like, I, feel, I always feel like I, I don't have the best relationship with physical reality. Like, you know, I'm not a good walker. Uh, I learned how to drive. I, I don't learn how to drive until I think I had to go to college to, like, get a car and I hate driving and all that stuff. Yeah, and but that's not your fault. That's because cars are bad. Cars are terrible. Um, but, uh... Yeah, I've, it, it's so understated, um, 
but so like specific. Like she kind of gets, she does that thing where she, like between the fuzziness of memory and between like the specificity of a photograph, she kind of, I'm lacking the words for it. I mean, I think that's a very beautiful yeah. phrase right there. Yeah. No, she, I love her art. Um, and like, you know, it's just like on top of, on top of her emotional intelligence writing this book, um, like the art is just, un- it's unreal. Like, you know, how someone can be that great with words and then can also draw that. You're just kind of, I mean, like someone like this, like doesn't really, like the Bechtel doesn't come around that often that someone that has the talent to write this well and draw this well yeah because they're usually like you know considered two different skill sets and it's and it's remarkable yeah i think uh yeah the the art is like you're saying i think like between the fuzziness of memory and the specificity of a photograph is a great way to say it because it is it's very realistic but it's not photorealistic and it's not full color. It's not full color, but it's not black and white. Yeah. It's, the whole thing is this like green, green bluish thing to it. Yeah. And yeah. then it varies in the levels. Some scenes are very much just like line and white and little hints of that same color, that bluish greenish color. And then some scenes are like fully colored and less white, less black and white. Um, so it's a very, it's a very, it's a very specific and unique visual style. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, you asked me, I don't know, there are like other in-between moments in the book. Do you have any like favorite panels? Uh, the one pages? that really, the one that really messed me up, uh, this reread was on page 119. And I think it's like right before, yeah, it's like towards the end of chapter four. It's where she sees the uh, Eisenhower error uh, uh, lesbian, um, the truck driver. And, you know, it's funny, like, um, I was so happy they didn't do this. I'm so happy they haven't done a movie of this yet, but they did a great musical, um, which I thought was really perfect. And like one of the big songs in there is uh, Ring of Keys. Do you ever listen to the musical? I have not. The musical is fantastic, too. Um uh, Persepolis, that's right, Persepolis is like the other book. And I think that came out maybe like two years after this one did. And that's about um, an Iranian woman dealing, like, you know, living through the revolution and everything. And she directed a great film, you know, based off the memoir that kind of followed that style. And I'm very happy that, you know, they didn't do a film of Fun Home because it just wouldn't, it wouldn't really work. Um, like it's such a, it's such a, I don't know, in terms of the medium, Oh, I'm rambling. Edit all this out. Um, no, it's all good. But, um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not editing any of it out. But okay, so on page 119, it's towards the bottom, where it's um, talking about the translations of Proust. So uh, the new title is a more literal translation of, uh, I'm going to butcher this, A la recherche uh, du temps perdu. But it still doesn't quite capture the full resonance of perdu. Um, and it's like this little panel, and it's a picture of, it's like a drawing of Bruce, uh, reading Proust. Um, this means not just lost, but ruined, undone, wasted, wrecked, and spoiled. And, you know, the, the Proust metaphors kind of 
like hit you a little bit hard on that panel. Cause like, you know, you think about, you know, the life that Bruce could have, because she talks about this, like this life that Bruce could have had if he did come out or if he did go to, you know, New York, that kind of a thing. And it's just like, I thought that was such a brilliant way to capture that in that panel. This means not just lost, but ruined, undone, wasted, wrecked, and spoiled. And like, that's, you know, you imagine a life wasted being in the closet, you know? And it's like, that's what we were talking about before. Like, I feel like I wasted so much time not being who I actually am. And like that, that panel, that, that, that hit me. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the, that's the paradox. If you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be who you are right now. I know. I know. And uh, there was a, there's a comic, there's a British comic that I like that talked about, um, what's the phrase? Uh, wishing for a different past is a different form of self-hatred. I really like that quote. Wishing for a different past is a different, wishing for a different past is another form of self-hatred. And if like, you know, the point of, you know, reading books and trying to self-actualize and be a better human and be the best version of who you are, um, yeah, wishing for a different past, like it's not, it's not really kind of in the cards because everything had to happen for you to get to this point to begin with. And you know, that's why I read books. We read books to kind of be more emotionally intelligent, read different books to understand different perspectives. Which is another elevator pitch for the book. This is like, be less shitty of a person and find out about this different, very unique experience, very unique life. Yeah, it's definitely one for everyone. I think so. It's an important picture of a type of life someone can have. Yeah. Especially for people like me, who didn't grow up in rural Pennsylvania. It gives you, it gives you a picture of sort of a segment of life and a segment of America that you don't necessarily get without seeking it out. Yeah. So maybe one other thing worth talking about before we move on is this element that you mentioned briefly a while ago about like um kind of performing or like the the need to kind of perform the straightness the heteronormative stuff um because that is that's a theme throughout the book you have her dad isn't like super masculine in the traditional like football and whatever I don't know whatever they do on the east coast (laughs) um and he's like he's very well dressed and he collects books and he like maintains the house and he's like restoring this house um and those things are probably like stereotypically feminine. And then one of the things that Allison does is she kind of pursues 
these images or presentations of that like stereotypical masculinity because she feels like it's missing from their family. Um, I feel like that is a really interesting element of her story. And and it's interesting to try to look for the ways in which Bruce is kind of performing stereotypical masculinity. And and I was thinking about that when you said that. And one of the things I thought of was when he's hanging out with these high school boys and we don't know necessarily what he's doing with them at those times, but it's like he... And he gets in trouble at one point because he bought one of them alcohol and gave him beer. And it's like, that's such a like masculine thing to do to be like, drink a beer with me, son. Right. But then he's like, and, and that's also in the moments where he's like the closest to coming out. He's also the doing the most like straight man, like. Yeah. Let's drink a beer. And then also doing like, you know, pretty significant damage to because like, you know, it's never implied whether it's consensual. Um so technically, you know, Bruce is a pedophile. Um and like, you know, that's the book so so it's like her trying to reconcile with that. Like, you know, with like, you know, this thing that her dad may or may not have done because they doesn't really go into that. Um but yeah, I mean like, you know, they're there are moments when we run some like old school friends and it's just like, yeah, let's go deer hunting. And like, you know, and here's Bruce who's into home restoration and gardening and sunbathing and books. Um, and like, you know, the performance, the performance, like, you know, you're kind of talking about, I mean, like that's, that's just his marriage. It's like, why did he get married? It's like, why didn't he come out? Like, you know, it's like he already, it's already implied that he had like a lover at the time that he did get married to, you know, Allison's mom. But you know, that's, that was the, that was his shield was having this week why and why have three kids could just have the one yeah um, or none you know that kind of a thing it's yeah like, but he's like he's following this like very leave it to beaver you know uh like i'm married and i have three kids and i have like you know a stable job and i'm he needs still in beach creek there's this really beautiful part you know where she's talking about i could have easily been stuck in westchester pennsylvania my entire life um and like you know i've could have done that same like you know half mile circle where i was like you know born chester county hospital went to east high school that kind of thing like you know those they're pretty close like that that could have been that could have been me um yeah the performance was the performance was getting married to a woman when the performance was you know having kids and then doing all of that um and you know it's like there's these beautiful moments like you know where allison's talking about not going not wanting to go to the football game and you know, playing dress up with, you know, with her uh, straight female friend and like all, like it's the, the parallels are just beautiful. And, you know, there's, there's also that one great panel where they're looking at like a, like a magazine ad where it's just like, you know, Allison's so attracted to the, like, you know, it's just like, oh, like these, like this masculine form that she wants to embody and he's viewing it as like a form of sexual desire. And so you see like, you know, the, the rare moments where both of their, both of their secret desires kind of like overlap. So that was really beautiful. Yeah, that yeah. that was a very um, memorable moment. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> she's like, I realized later uh, we were looking and like we I were think, seeing it differently. And like, what do you think the climax of the book is? I mean, like for me, there's and it's just like I've never wanted two people who I've never met to have a drink more in my entire life. Where like you know they go to the bar and like you know uh, the bouncer turns them away. It's just like no, like let the both of them have a drink so they can like 
yeah like connect and like talk to each other and it's like the closest like you know that the entire conversation in the car ride where he's like even like opening up about like you know his homosexuality to his daughter that just came out yeah the car ride moment is probably the like that's the yeah Uh, that's like the closest they get to because i think yeah like in terms of what you want from the story you want there to be this like positive resolution moment of understanding like recognition of each other as people with like this rich deep self and validate each other and that's like the closest they get to it and it's real it's just like such a real life thing like you know i um every once in a while i kind of torture myself and i think like well if i came out what, what would my dad have thought um but like my dad died when i was 12 and like i never got to come out to him um and it's just like there's yeah, that moment when you're like, you know, really talking to a parent and like really trying to express something deep and fundamental about yourself. And like, they're like, they're like 90% there and they never really get to have the evening that they should have. And yeah. I thought it was like, you know, I remember crying, like, you know, reading that book, reading that part, like the first, the, the first time, second time, the third time. It's like, that's like, that's for me, that's like a big emotional. Cause you're right. I mean, like in each chapter does like, you know, just skate, like, you know, does a different perspective and skate around the issue. And it's very much not a linear plot-driven book um you find out like you know the central conflict pretty quickly yeah um but yeah that part god the entire chapter is great yeah i think one thing like with parent child relationships it's hard for parents to be a full person for their children as well and in that moment she's like sitting in the car like sitting as still as possible like trying not to disturb the scene too much because she's like maybe if i look at him it'll break like it's this it's such a fragile moment yeah right there and it's like yeah when you have those moments with parents it's like it's it's hard because you don't really learn how to like get it out of them or you have to like be the yeah. parent and the child. You have yeah. this role that you have to play. Exactly. And it's like it, your actors on a stage who have lines you have to say, but also then you're a real person who wants to. Yeah. Has other things you're thinking about as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a pretty universal part. You know, it's, we were trying to get that. We were trying to get that before about like having an emotionally conversation, having an emotionally honest conversation with the parent, and the parent is maybe not done the work that they should have done, and what those conversations look like you know it's a lot yeah yeah one thing i have thought about um as i've read and engaged with some of the like buddhist stuff that i've engaged with is this idea of forgiveness not requiring another person and not requiring the other person to apologize right and this book is a good example of like she doesn't let him off the hook for things that he did wrong, but ultimately it's forgiving, but there's no, like he, there's so many things that he never did or didn't do. And now he's gone and he can't do. Yeah. And it's, it's like an excellent exercise. Yeah. Or even if he was, or even if you stayed alive, like that, he probably would never would have been capable of doing because he didn't do the work. And because he was not conscious of where his where his own emotions kind of came from, um, and I feel like it's pretty common, you know, with like you know people in their thirties talking to their parents, 
and especially like you know um like friends that we have where it's like you know their 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 parents like never dealt with their stuff um and we're never emotionally honest about where they're where they're i don't know how to describe it i keep using the phrase unprocessed trauma because that's the only thing i can really kind of but so you know it's like if your parent has an unprocessed if your parent has unprocessed trauma and you try to have a relationship with that parent that's always going to be a barrier um so whether like you know they've you can get like you know little glimpses and little moments but if you if you have a parent that has unprocessed trauma and that has a kid and you have the emotional honest conversation it's like the parent can or sorry the, the child can never help but just feel like the parent because then it's just it becomes the child's burden to unprocessed it becomes the child's burden to process all the stuff that the parents never processed and like you know this book is just a document of a child trying to process the unprocessed trauma of a parent um and that's where that's another that could be another part of the elevator pitch where like that's that's a big part of why the book i think resonates for people like um straight or gay um because that's that's pretty universal there's a lot of people who who have parents that have never dealt with the central issues in their life that kind of help them back from being emotionally honest and forthright which i think was that what you're trying to get at yeah 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 just sharing my thoughts that's no i like it i don't know yeah. where I'm, i don't know what i'm trying to get at necessarily no, I, just... I feel like that's something you know for our friendship that's that's kind of something that you and i have related to where it's just like you know when you try to you try to live an authentic life and you try to process all the things that have happened to you and that you deal with um and that don't have answers um and it is it is the buddhist concept of you know forgiveness because there's no because what else do you do with it you stay angry for the rest of your life and you develop an addiction or you know you process it and move on with your life yeah yeah talk about it i'm having a hard time bullshitting with people these days or i'm having a hard time like talking about surface level things like do it for a little bit and like you know the you know dinner party kind of aspect of it but in terms of like actually engaging with people and it's like it's the only thing i ever really want to talk about it's the only thing i think about because it is it's like you know yeah, yeah it's coming out coming out really as a process um and then you know it's just kind of like oh like i'm gay and then it's just like and i'm done i'm cured but like it's like no yeah, and like everyone coming out party and... yeah and you know and like everyone talked about like everyone every other gay man i talked to about this there's kind of like nah it takes like seven years i'm like oh great so I like who I, I like. I'll wake. I'll be able to wake up without any self hatred when I'm forty. So yeah. this is just what's going to happen for the rest of my thirties. Is when also our, trying to trying to be at peace with who I am. Our society has made it such a thing where it you can't just come out once to everybody. No. So there's then you yeah. come. You have like a big initial coming out, and then it's just an endless series of small. <laughs> Coming yeah. out. Yeah, it's an endless. It's like a and my um one of my close friends was uh lives in California, uh, and I asked him. I was just like, "Well, what do I do?" He's just like, "Well, one thing I will tell you is that like I have to come out every single day to somebody new, and it is it's just it's just you get used to it." Um. But, uh, yeah, I mean that's it's a it's a heteronormative culture. And like, you know, which is fine. But it's like, you know, I was talking before about like, you know, my cat dying and like, you know, it's like, man, this is really affecting me pretty hard. 
And then another friend who was just like, well, no, like your, your home is one of the few non-heteronormative spaces that you have in your life. And like, you know, if that gets damaged, I mean, it just cuts a little deeper, I think. Yeah. It was like the cat was like a part of my, my home. I mean, your cat was like a, like a, a great piece cat. of furniture yeah. and like a family member. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like in terms of if you think about what love is, this is getting wildly off topic. Um, if you think about what love is, love is attention and time, right? And so like when you really love someone, you're giving them your attention, you're giving them your time. Um, your time is precious. Um, your attention is precious. And the amount of attention and time that I've given to that cat, like I work from home 30 hours a week. It's like that cat was my best friend. <laughs> like, I, like I spent so much time with that cat. Yeah, no. Yeah, Bertrand's dead now. That's just like it's been one of those months. Rest in peace, Bertrand. It's a great cat. You'll be missed. Yeah. All right. Um, trying to think what else to talk about with this book. Well, we can. I, I feel like I feel like I'm not. I feel like I've like you know I've spent probably too much time talking about Bruce and not. That's not enough time to talk about Allison. Just how fucking much I love her. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's weird. It's weird being a gay man having like, you know, and it's just like one of my heroes is just this, like, you know, like cool, like very cool and collected, um, lesbian cartoonist, but she, she's my hero. I love her. Why is that weird? And it's not weird. It's just kind of like, you know, you, you feel like you should have like a gay man. No, hero and it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird. This is kind of like, Oh, like that's just kind of funny. Cause like I, I, I didn't grow up with anyone. I didn't grow up with anyone gay. Um, like not, like not really. Um, and so like, you know, if you would have, you know, you go back in time and you talk to 11 or 17 year old Will, and it's just like, yeah, the person's going to be able to articulate your homosexuality back to you in a really beautiful and coherent way is going to be this like kick-ass radical lesbian, like, you know, who has this kick-ass radical, like, you know, lesbian comic in the eighties. Um, She's my yeah. She's one of my heroes. I fucking I I adore her. You've read and uh, have you read like all of her stuff? I'm not ready to it's read insane. the second book yet. Yeah, yeah. The second book's about uh, her mom, and like you know that's still stuff I'm trying to unpack yeah. and figure out. One book at a time. One parent at yeah. a time. Yeah, one parent at a time. Um, Fair but enough. Every everything else I've read. There's this really great. Um, uh, I'm probably not going to remember the name. Um, there's a collection that came out that I just bought it during Pride. I think it's called No Straight Lines. And it's a collection of um, gay comics um, from the 50s to like, you know, uh, like 2019 when it was published, I think. And she has this great little one pager about like uh, getting rejected from The Stranger and then being asked years later, like, hey, can you put in a comic for The Stranger? And it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, if you find it, it's at Elliot Bay. If you find it, um, yeah, it's no straight lines. It's like, you know, right, like right across the bargain table. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. And you don't have to necessarily yeah, you know, it's, say it's, any it's, specific it's, things. Yeah, because like, you know, it's going to be that kind of thing where I'm going to send you like an email and like it's not going to help for you. It's not going to help you for the podcast. So but email later. Right? Yeah, Here's all it's going to be one of those I things I'd where I'm going to send an email and be like, I listened to it and I forgot like 15 billion things. That's fine. Yeah. That's that's no big deal. Yeah. I do. I'm really glad. That, thank you for reading this book with me. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you read it. Thanks for recommending it. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. 
talking to me about it right now. Yeah. Um, I can talk about some of the, like, the, I have some just like notes on the history and the critical reception of the book. I'll go for it. And then if you think of anything based off of what I say, feel free to just dive in. Go for it. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much and I have too much written down. So please interrupt me if something catches you. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we've talked about, it was published in 2006. It, um, it took her seven years part because of that process of photographing herself in the poses and then drawing and doing it all herself. It's very meticulous and time-consuming. So seven years in production, published in 2006. Uh, let's see. The Times of London said it was profound and important. Salon called it beautiful, a beautiful, assured piece of work. Uh, several publications listed it as one of the best books in 2006, including New York Times, Times of London, New York Magazine, Publishers Weekly, which ranked it as the best comic book of 2006. Salon named it the best nonfiction debut of 2006, admitting that they were fudging the definition of debut and saying fun home shimmers with regret, compassion, annoyance, frustration, pity, and love, usually all at the same time, and never without a pervasive, deeply literary irony about the near impossible task of staying true to yourself and to the people who made you who you are. Entertainment Weekly called it the best nonfiction book of the year, and Time called it the best book of 2006. So it's very well received. Pretty much universally adored. Uh, the New York Times wrote, If the theoretical value of a picture is still holding steady at a thousand words, then Alison Bechtel's slim yet Proustian graphic memoir, Fun Home, must be the most ingeniously compact hyper-verbose hyper example of autobiography to have been produced. It is a pioneering work pushing two genres in multiple new directions, panels that combine the detail and technical proficiency of R. Crumb with a seriousness, emotional complexity, and innovation completely its own. Do you want to comment on that? No, I mean, that's kind of what I was... I haven't read that. That's kind of what I was getting at. You say nailed it? Yeah, yeah. where it, yeah, it takes... um. It takes memoir and it takes comic books and it's it becomes the best graphic. Yeah, it takes it takes graphic novels and memoir, and it just becomes one of the best graphic novels ever written. It becomes one of the best memoirs ever written, in my opinion. Uh, Seattle Times, yeah. our <laughs> beloved Seattle Times. <laughs> Uh, called it a staggeringly literate and revealing autobiography. The Guardian called it a witty, melancholic, and endearing insight into grief, sexuality, and a search for happiness. Despite their particularity, Bechtel's struggles have a resonance for anyone dealing with family life, which makes Fun Home both comforting and startling in its honesty. Uh... Let's see. In 2007, it won the Eisner Award for Best Reality-Based Work. I don't really know much about that award, but that sounds pretty good, right? 
2008, Entertainment Weekly put it on its list of new classics, defined as the 100 best books from 1983 to 2008. The Guardian later included it in its series A Thousand Novels Everyone Must Read and called it Beautifully Rendered. Um, in 2009, the Times of London then said it was one of the best books of the previous decade. Uh, oh, also Entertainment Weekly said that, and Salon, and the AV Club. It was named one of the 20 classic works of gay literature by the Los Angeles Times. And then in 2019, it ranked 33rd on the Guardian's list of the 100 best books of the 21st century. So it started off well-received and has continued to just be yeah. loved. Yeah, it's um, it's a very important book. Um, it does it, it articulate it articulates something that no one else has been able to articulate. Um, so like even if it was like a traditional novel, um, like you know, I'm trying so hard not to cry on your podcast, Brian. But like there's like this, yeah, it's grief and sexuality. And if you and if you grew up where your sense of grief and your sense of sexuality were so intertwined, because um, like I was going through pu- like you know Virginia Woolf, I think too. Um, I, th- I think her mother died um, when she was like twelve, thirteen. Like my dad died when I was twelve, and like that's kind of when you're supposed to have the energy to be like, oh, who am I attracted to, and like you know what's happening, and like you know I was too busy just being so numb from from my father's death that like, you know, it's, and so like she, there, there's like, you know, the unwritten parts of this book where she kind of captures that about like, you know, it's like the weird cruelty of like trying to like coming out and, and dealing with like, you know, the death of a parent. Um, I can't think of any other book like that. And that's like the central, it's like one of the more central conflicts or tensions in my life was, um, was that it's, it's, it's my favorite book because of that, I think. It's okay to cry on my podcast if you want. I don't want to cry on your podcast. <laughs> I just don't. Are there tissues in it? No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. But yeah, no. I mean, all the critical reception. I mean, and it deserves to be remembered as as much as any any book written in that decade. Um, like, what was like? What, what was your favorite novel between like two thousand and two thousand ten? Published. Published. I have no idea. I don't even know what books I've read that were published during that time yeah. period. Yeah. But I remember, yeah, no, I really was that book. I went, uh, I don't know. I went like a while without, I wasn't necessarily reading books well, that, was like that your, were that was like coming your, out. Like that was I like your history phase too, I think. Right? I mean, and it was like, I don't know, I was reading like Catch-22 and I was reading Vonnegut and I don't know, stuff. I wasn't necessarily like deliberately choosing not to read new stuff. I just was, and I was also trying to read like classics and stuff and get into Dostoevsky mm-hmm. and Kafka, Kafka and other books as well. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I was never, I've never been very good at keeping up with like, the latest and the current, you know, yeah, it's like a weird, it's usually kind of like a weird, uh, balancing act between like, you know, catching up on the classics. And then, you know, that's one of the reasons why I did the book club thing. It's because we usually do pretty recent things and yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, you talked about 
that Fun Home was adapted into a musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a the musical was a finalist for the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It also won a few awards, and uh, then the Broadway production opened in 2015 and won five Tonys, as it should have, including Best Musical. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to go listen to it now. It's and... fantastic. Um, like Ring of Keys is great. There's a song that she. There's a song. Um, because like one of my one of my favorite human beings. Um, she just got married in June. Um, to her wife, and she talked about how the musical kind of helped her reconcile herself with her own sexuality. Um, but like you know, there's a this song about like you know the first time that Allison has sex with the Joan, her uh, first her college girlfriend. And it's just like that song's amazing. Um, but yeah, I've I've listened to that musical too many times. But like you know, and it's funny because like you know my so my husband Oscar like he can't even get through it because um, he'll listen to the first he'll listen to the first track where it's just like uh, I can't get into it. Um, but it's it's amazing. Have you ever seen it? No, no, I really want to though. Yeah, yeah, that would be very cool. Yeah, but it's like. Ugh. It's really. I mean, you can you can not be into musicals and and listen to it, and it'll still kind of knock you out. The other thing I have written down here about the book, which will probably make you angry, is you may be aware of this, but several times since two thousand six, people have tried to ban. Oh yeah, in the, South. the book. Yeah, especially yeah. yeah. Um, there was a big fight in South Carolina where a college assigned it as summer reading for their incoming freshmen. And then the South Carolina State House of Representatives cut the college's funding by the cost of that reading program. And then there was a huge fight over it and went back to the House where they debated it again. And then they voted to restore the funding except redirect it to the study of the Constitution and the Federalist Papers. Yeah, of course. But people have accused it of being pornographic, as they do. Yeah. And tried to... Yeah, that's a different podcast, talking yeah. about... America really, America really hates gay people. It's really... It's, it's, you know... It's like the most obvious thing I could say. But, like, it's just... Every once in a while, it's just kind of like, oh, shit, that's right. You kind of, you, you lose it being in like, you know, the nice Seattle bubble, but like, you know, I was in North Carolina earlier in the year and it is, yeah, there's some parts where it's just, you can, you can feel it. It's, it's weird. And so that doesn't surprise me. Good old South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's strange because like, you know, the work tries to like fun home itself tries to capture living in a homophobic environment and the fact that like a homophobic environment would ban it. This is kind of like, okay. It's like, this is what this does to people. And then people are like, Oh, we need to, we need to do the bad part of this book. Not, not learn from it. We need to reenact it. Totally. Yeah. Well, if you have anything, I mean, because there's also some deep sexism involved, because if you have anything where it's two women having sex, it's automatically NC-17, ban it forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just saw uh, Indecent as Seattle Rep, 
It's by Paula Vogel, mm -hmm. and it's about this play called The God of Vengeance by Sholamash, which was about a uh, like a Jewish man who ran a brothel, and his daughter falls in love with one of the prostitutes, and then they have this like it's like a very like genuine and real love and then there's this like big moment where they kiss and then of course the play was banned and then when they performed it they like performed it all over europe and it was like amazing and popular and then they came to america and then they performed it on broadway and then the whole cast got arrested for indecency and whatever and yeah, so yeah. Land of the Free. Land of the Free. Home of the Phobia. Um we can move on to our Goodreads Reviews segment segment. This is hopefully fun. I think this this might be my favorite part. Um I mean I loved hearing everything you said about the book. That was my favorite part. But I also like reading random people's thoughts. Because oh, they're good. Let me, let me lay it on me. Yeah. So first up, Whitney, five stars. My life is such a hot ass mess right now that it took me a week to read this, even though I loved it. Whereas most graphic novels are quick, fun reads. This is unlike anything I've read before because it's so rich with meaning. This is like a literary fiction novel tucked into a graphic mm -hmm. novel. It made me think. It wowed me with its language. And it definitely provoked a lot of thought about family and sexuality and, I don't know, emotions? That's perfect. Thank you, Whitney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I can nail it. Right. Yeah. Are you ready for Lola? Uh sure four stars Lola says quite a philosophical book Alison Bechtel's reflections on her identity and relationship with her father are profound important and absorbing great references to literary works the author also touches on feminism but not enough in my opinion there's nothing fun about this book the atmosphere is very subdued and so are the characters it never made me smile or laugh, but it made me <laughs> but it made me think and question. Uh, well, yeah, that's yeah. Did it ever make you smile or laugh? I mean, it did, but you know, I think we kind of grew up in the same environment where it's just like, you know, yeah, of course, everyone's subdued because, and she talks about that about there's that really great panel where it's like all of them doing their individual, you know, artistic activities where it's just like. And, like, the lack of physical affection, like, you know, uh, it's like, of course, yeah, that would produce a subdued person. Um, I don't know, I thought, I thought the, I thought the book was deeply feminist. I mean, like, you know, there's, it introduced me to a lot of writers that, um, I, I wouldn't have known, I, I'd never heard of Kate Millett before, um, you know, because I didn't have, like, that great of a feminist education in college, because I was, like, too busy doing, like, essentially, like, a double major. Um, yeah, no, it's, I, I, I think it's, like, a fantastic introduction to, feminist theory yeah yeah especially i mean maybe this is subtle but i think like one of the important things about feminism is this idea that like 
feminism is for everybody and feminism would not just help Allison, it would help Bruce. Like both of these characters are suffering from a lack of feminism, an excess of masculinity and Um, heteronormativity and patriarchy and yeah. You know what I was going to mention? Um, so another one of my favorite writers is uh, Maggie Nelson. And uh, Molly actually introduced me to Maggie Nelson. Bluettes is one of my all-time favorite books. I almost talked about Bluettes. Um, well, we can do that for next season. There you go. Because um, I need to... I, yeah, oh, you keep telling me yeah. to read it. Bluettes is I... fantastic. And then I will share with the Argonauts, which is like, it was even more, even more popular. Um, and she's kind of like our... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but like... Yeah, that's the stuff that Maggie Nelson talks talks about. Where it's just like you know, it's like you know, it's such a gender expression, such a spectrum, um, and so like you know, there's and this is the great shift that's kind of happening. It's neither it's neither either or, because like you know, one thing that I'm struggling with is is like I'm way more feminine than I actually am, or way more feminine than I actually present, um, and like you know, trying to get rid of that block is like you know, kind of trying to undo you know thirty years of living in america and we're being from pennsylvania um so feminism is very important to me because like you know it talks about you know it's just like well like, like you know i don't have to necessarily yeah, it's hard to talk about but like you know the Megan nelson thing i read this great like a uh, blurb about it where it was moving on from either or to and both and i kind of love that which is like you know it's it's better for and it's like you know that's a different podcast talking about the crisis with men's rights and you know all that stuff that is um, a different podcast, yeah, but like, and you know, I'm trying to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, that's and uh, Fun Home does very much address that, where it's just like you know, Allison's struggle with, you know, being being in a woman, being born woman bodied, and you know, this desire that she has, or just this this in, this thing that she can't change within herself to like look more masculine. In the same way that you know, it's. You know, Bruce is obsessing with gardening and you know, there's a wonderful panel where he's like trying to give her pearls and she's just like, leave me alone. Um, like that tension between the two. Yeah. yeah. Like they're both not... trying to, they're both trying to express themselves through yeah. each other. Yeah. For, for a, for a quote comic, it is not comic. Like, you know, there's, there are some funny parts that I laughed at, but it's not, this is not supposed to cheer you up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Darth J. Oh God. Three stars. Well, I wanted to read this for some time, mostly because Alison Bechtel is probably one of the more prominent names that both authors and readers are aware of these days due to her test. (laughs) Anyway, I wanted to like this more than I did. You see, I'm not really a fan of graphic novels, but it worked here to illustrate her points. Illustrator points. See what they did there? Yes, that's really clever, Darth. However, this whole book felt more like a project of self-analysis than a commercial product. It was extremely personal, yet cold and detached. <laughs> this memoir is too personal. <laughs> like, extremely personal, yet cold and detached, like Allison's parents, which I think is the entire point. Oh, buddy, yeah, it was. Three stars overall because there was something there, but that just wasn't entertainment. Oh, God. <laughs> you don't have to fully respond, yeah, Brian. Can... I love, I love that. Your childhood trauma was not entertaining enough for me. 
That's essentially that, that. That's that's the short version of that. Your childhood trauma was not entertainment. Not everything's for you, Darth. I mean, yeah. I think it's also. God damn it! Is it supposed to be entertaining? It's supposed to be entertaining. Yeah. Does everything have to be entertaining? Like you were saying earlier, like we read books to expand our yeah. world and get better as people. Yeah, they can also be entertainment. They can be both. Yeah. Yeah, you know. It's like that the the aversion to genre literature that I had when I was wildly pretentious in 19, like you know, has since faded away because I'm an adult. <laughs> so you can have both. Yeah. Yeah, and like you know, one can be just fun, one can be just, you know, much like gender, it's just, it's spectrum. God damn it. Next up, we have Ashley, who gave two stars. I'm enjoying this for. I'm enjoying your. For, I'm enjoying this format of that five, four, three, two, one. It's good. Because you know what's coming. Um, Ashley says after the oh I don't know eighty sixth mention of Proust, I just completely lost interest in this. I can see the appeal for those who are in with all the literary references in this, but personally, it felt a little too try hard for me. It relied heavily on pieces of literature I have not and do not ever really intend on reading. So it was really hard to take any interest in the story. No, it's a, <laughs> like it's because it's supposed to be, you know, because that was her father's way of navigating his own pain was through literature. And so like she had to do it that way. Um, and like, you know, the first and when we were talking about my first reading, you know, I was doing in college. I was like, as I was trained to be an English teacher, and I was like, this book is completely articulating why novels are so important to me. Um, and like you know, why all this stuff matters and why it should be remembered. Because, you know, it helps you kind of, like, you know, get some context. I mean, stories help us. I mean, it's that Didion thing. It's like, you know, stories make us. Yeah. Oh, God. Ashley, try again. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> All right. And next up, Rebecca Ann. One star. And she said... I do not know what I was expecting from this graphic novel. In all honesty, it was kind of boring. The pictures were the same style over and over again. The writing itself was also disappointing. Bechtel kept comparing her father's life and his decisions to that of classic literature, and it felt way too overdone. Sometimes things just need to be taken at face value, rather than beating an idea to death. This tragicomic was depressing and disappointing i would not recommend it you think there's any hope for rebecca Ann? I, you know uh, oh there are things i want to say that i don't want to say because usually like you know i mean there's our, our american culture has a pathological need to be happy all the time American culture is like this pathological need to be like, it's just be entertainment, smile, smile, keep going, keep going, keep buying, keep buying, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so for someone to, just repeating myself, um, for a book to like really trying to really just from that non-judgmental inquiry, like what was like my childhood? Whoa. Okay. Let me try to really un unpack this stuff. Um, and for it to be dismissed as like depressing or something. I mean, if anything, like, you know, like, if it seemed isolating and kind of like, oh, yeah, it was overwrought with all the literary metaphors, it was like, that was her relationship with her dad. Like, you know, their relationship was based, their, their relationship was based around books. 
her own sexuality. And it's another part of the chapter that I really love where she like, you know, there's a picture of her masturbating while reading where it's just like, you know, she found out she was gay because of novels and because of books and because of feminist theory. It's just like, it's a central part of her life that you can't really detach. So at some point, like, you know, the history that she has with novels and Bruce's history that he had with novels and that's how they related to each other. It's another beautiful moment where, you know, she's like, you know, your class is my favorite one. And he's just like, you're the only student I have worth teaching. And that's the closest they ever get in the book to saying, I love you. So like, you know, it's like, you can't really detach them. But I'm sorry if it wasn't entertaining. That's an excellent yeah. response there. I like that. I'm sorry, Rebecca. Yeah. My favorite part of that was the pictures were the same style over and over again. I'm like, <laughs> what did you expect? Yeah. It's the same book. It's the, yeah. You're reading one book. Yeah. Of course it should be this, or not should be, but of course it might be the same style from start to finish. Yeah, was there... If you want a different style, read a different book after you finish this one. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Um, and so then the final little bit of this is we've heard a lot about the book. Um, you know, New York Times said it was hyper verbose. We heard staggeringly literate and revealing, witty, melancholic, endearing, startling in its honesty, very subdued, extremely personal, cold and detached, overdone, depressing and disappointing. And my question for you to wrap this up is how many of those descriptors do you think you would apply to yourself as a person? Oh God, that's a good question. Um, How closely do you identify with the book as a human being? This book's like one of my best friends. I feel like <clears throat> it's cold. It's cold and detached because it has to. Because it has to be cold and detached. Because looking, looking at the stuff in deep in the face, would have been that's you know the great metaphor in the beginning, where that's flying too close to the sun. And so looking, looking at the intensity of these kind of emotions is like flying to the sun and it doesn't do you any good. Your fucking wings melt off. And so like, you know, I know a lot of people like this where it's just like, maybe they seem cold and detached, but like, you know, the more you talk, you know, the more you talk to them, it's just like, that's their way of surviving. That's their self-defense mechanism. And like, you know, for them, you know, dealing with stuff, it's just like, sorry, it's not, sorry, it's not a warm, cuddly, entertaining book about your father dying. Like, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck do you want? <laughs> do you think that you are cold and detached i feel like i i feel like a big part of my life has been in performance um and that was my self-defense mechanism uh but like there's there's different ways that people kind of hide them there's different ways that people hide who they truly are from other people um like i have this pathological need for people for everyone to like me um and that's my that's my response like you know, i could be more cold and detached but my response is for everyone to like me um and, you know, I have this weird, like, pathological need to be liked. And I hate, like, the, the idea of being rejected is, like, apocalyptic for me. Um, and so I just try to, you know, try to be, yeah, as nice as I possibly can. 
which is like a positive like you get reinforced for that because it's like oh like you know you're being like you're really friendly and everything it's just like i'm in so much pain please don't reject me um yeah like you know and i in a lot of ways i kind of admire i admire bechdel for that style of just like having that kind of like no fuck you kind of a thing you know she's I don't know. It's weird, like, you know, when you fall in love with a writer and you fall in love with a book, it's kind of, it, it's weird. Because, like, you know, you don't, you don't, I don't know this person. But, like, this book meant, this book meant the world to me. Um, it's meant the world to a lot of people, that I, like, a lot of other gay people that I know. Um, yeah. Probably also doing a bad job of answering that question. But, no, that's, yeah. I mean... Yeah. It's a silly question, and you gave no, that's a great question. an excellent, no, that's a great question. wonderful, profound answer. Yeah, because like you know, so. if your if your favorite book was a person, would you want to hang out with that person? Yeah, and like you know, I and I, I would. I do pretty well. I find I usually find myself pretty attracted to like people that are a little bit more standoffish. Like you know, I usually want to hang. I usually want to talk to them more because I just want to know. Like I want to know what their their story is. Um, yeah, I think like the, the parts, the things that people said about fun home of like comforting and startling in its honesty and extremely personal as someone who knows you, I would say those things about you as well. I mean, I don't know necessarily startling, but you are at least with the people that you know, very honest. And like you were saying earlier, you only want to talk about real stuff. Yeah. I'm like, that's extremely, you're yeah. like, we don't, you're like, let's just go straight to the, the personal yeah, stuff. Let's the skip the bullshit. Yeah. Cause I, like, I've, I already wasted so much time. I already wasted so much time in the closet that like, I, like I'm, I'm trying to live my life and I'm trying to do it. I'm making an attempt to do it in an authentic way. Cause so much of my history was so inauthentic that like, I am like, I'm out of time. Like I'm running out of time and I, I don't want to, I don't want to do the bullshit. You know, I, I, I'm very uninterested in the new friends that I'm making. Um, I'm always very uninterested in, uh, service level bullshit. Like they'll be, they're very nice acquaintances, but in terms of like friends, like close friends that I want to like emotionally attach to, like, you know, I need, I need to have the personal thing cause it's not, what, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like I, I don't really have any space for that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're also a writer. You write things. You're a good writer. Especially when you write autobiographically. Um, have you considered writing something like this? Even if just for yourself? Yeah. I've been dragging my piece. uh, I've been dragging, I've been dragging my feet on... I wanted to have it published or have maybe have you or someone else read it. Um, cause I, I, why am I talking about this? I made, <laughs> I made, I made a, I made a suicide attempt in 2017 and in a very, very real way, uh, coming out saved my life. Um, and it's, I'm trying to write that down and it's proving to be, it's like, I mean, this is why I admire this book so much. Like really writing about this stuff's like, oh, it's, it's hard. It's really it took hard. her seven years. Yeah, I mean. it's, it's really hard. And like, you know, but like, this is going to be like a short, like two or three page thing. Um, 
but like you know i i keep wanting to sit down and write more of it but like i'm having a really hard time with it it's a letter it's a letter to myself at 10 because um when i was 11 i had an experience where i was like oh shit i don't think i'm straight (laughs) um so it's it's a letter it's a letter to me the year before i knew i was gay i'm just like hey like hey young me this is what you have to expect so good luck and it's it's a way for me to kind of reconcile and like that's that panel like you're talking about where she's talking about reconceiving her history um that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this piece because I, I want to view my history in a way because like a lot of times I just feel like a coward for not coming out um so I'm trying to recon I'm trying to write about my past in a way that I can I can process it I'm I'm doing a bad job explaining this oh, that's like, that's all <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. So I'm still. Sense. Oh yeah, You're I'm, doing st- a I'm great still job. trying. Oh, thank you, Brian. Um, yeah, I'm still. I'm, I'm. I'm in the process of trying to write something because it's still the primary way that I like to communicate with people. Yeah. Um, Was that true before? I mean, that's probably something that's been true about you for a long time. Yeah. Did this book have any impact on that for you? Did it make you more interested in writing? Definitely. Did you? Did it drive you? Definitely. I went through. I went through ill-fated. Uh, because I'm a terrible drawer. Um, I went through ill-fated, like, you know, I was trying to do comics for a little bit, yeah. and I did that for, like, six months, and I was like, I'm very bad at drawing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it's, um, the book reaffirmed, you know, there's there's something really important about writing a lot of this stuff down. Because, um, like, you know, it's nice, like, you know, because I, I keep kind of, much like the book, kind of, like, circling around the subject, like, just having this conversation, um, like, I feel like I can never really truly articulate what it was like for me. Um, and, you know, that's the goal, is trying to trying to know yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm going to attempt to do that with this third thing that I'm trying to write. I mean, one could say the meaning of life is just to try to articulate yourself try, to, try other to, articulate to other people. Try to articulate to other people. That's hard. Lang- language, yeah. is, language, is, language is a insufficient tool insufficient tool it's a virus from outer space burrows um but uh yeah and i imagine you talk about that in like the other like the other um episodes for this podcast where it's just you know how do you how do you articulate what it's like to be a human being it's very hard yeah yeah i think um yeah by the time, hopefully, by the time anyone hears this, they'll have heard all the other yeah, episodes, <laughs> and they will say, "Yes, you did do that." Yeah. Or they'll say, "No, you didn't do I that." Do an apolo- and I failed. I should do a pol- an apology to any Alison Bechtel fans that Google this and just find this isolated thing. Where it's like, I want to hear about the book, and I want to hear about some no, white. I didn't want to hear about some white thirty-three-year-old guy who hates himself for being gay, <laughs> like trying to figure it all out. I don't think anyone who likes this book would not want to hear, hear yeah. what you have to say yeah and i think what you're saying is all i hope it's relevant excellent stuff yeah. it's very it's very worthwhile no oh, thank you brian it's i'm i'm very grateful for everything you're sharing with me oh. thanks for thanks for having me yeah um so then the final question for you is, is there anything that you would change about Fun Home? 
part of me wants to be like, yeah, I wish it was 2,000 pages rather than like 200 something. But I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty perfect, it's a perfect document. I feel like there are probably things that she maybe wanted to say that she ends up saying in the second book, which like I still haven't, I still don't know if I have like the courage to read <laughs> or I don't know if I have like the, yeah, but it's like, it's, it's sitting there and like, I'm good, I'm going to read it, but it's this. The, there's, there are wounds that your father creates and like, they're, they're really specific. Um, but then there's also wounds that your mother creates and they're a little bit, they're, it's a different, it's a different thing to kind of reconcile and deal with. But I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably end up reading it before the end of the year. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, this book is perfect. I mean, this is, that's, I, I wouldn't and couldn't change a thing about it. Um, yeah, I love her. Alright. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you, Brian. You don't have to change anything. Yeah, don't change anything. Um, yeah. And then so now we're in the we're in the conclusion segment here. Um the last ish the second to last thing is we get to find out if I liked it. Oh yeah. And then I, feel, you, I feel, yeah. You can ask me any questions you want or anything. Um, or do you feel like you know how I, uh, I have, I have no, I mean, you've, you've talked about a little bit about it. It just didn't even occur to me. I'm like, Oh yeah, you read this with me too. <laughs> Such is the deep solipsism of my own problems where I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. Brian, Brian also wanted to, yeah. Well, it's not about me. It, it is about you. That's the well, it's point. Pretty, it's supposed to be about the book. You're, well, it's and, supposed like, to be why, about why you. The book's important, yeah. And why. Yeah. Why it's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's about. Yeah. It's, it's not like, just anyone a, who likes Fun Home. It's someone who. Yeah. It matters is, um, to. This very much is like your house is burning down and you can you can take three books with you. I mean, this is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's always It's always the book that. Yeah, I've I, I throughout the years I never really thought it was just like oh I guess and then like every year that passes I'm like yeah this is this is my favorite book. Like I think I've talked I've talked to you more about I think other other novels and other, but like no this is my favorite book yeah. Yeah, so what'd you think about it, Brian? Uh, I really like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably. I don't know, I'd give it four stars on. The Goodreads, maybe, Goodreads, yeah. um, which is the I really liked it rating. Yeah. Um, what are your five stars? Catch twenty two. Yeah, Catch twenty two. Um, Canticle for Leibowitz. <sighs> That's my my favorite thing. Uh, is one of my great accomplishments in the history of our friendship is giving you that book. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, so I, good. I have a lot of five stars, but. I try to like, I've tried to over time restrict those to like the ones that I the really. The ones that are, yeah. 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 Canical for Leave of It's everyone should read. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the art style and the way in which the form of the book also just adds to the story of the book and how it is a series of chapters that repeat without repeating it repeats and evolves and it's sort of that like 
how she just kind of iterates on the story throughout it. And it, it is like, you get everything in the first chapter, you get like this, the base level story is okay. This happened, this happened, this happened. And you have this idea of, okay, that's what this is about. And then some more information comes out and then some more and some more. And it's like constantly uncovering by constantly revising. And as someone who is into history and kind of how history like and historiography and how history revises over time and what we thought we knew about humanity in 1970 is not what we think we know about humanity in 2020 right um i think that is a super cool element i as someone who has read a little bit of proust i also really like that like it's that Proustian mechanic of like this thing triggers this memory and triggers this thing and it's just like it represents the way your mind actually works is you think of things and then you think of something else and you remember a thing and that makes you think of a thing and then um like you were saying with the diary entries I really like the way she presents those as such like from like a critical perspective where she's like, I was an unreliable narrator and here's like what I left out and here's what got put in and why did that get put in and why did this get left out? Um, and I mean, that's also from a historiography point of view, something that is interesting to me and it's like everything. Um, and this is something I talked about on the Arcadia episode with Caitlin is like, something always has to be left out like and so what gets left out and then so i really enjoyed the way she did that to herself in this book i love caitlin and um i really like the 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 monochrome i guess style where it's just that one color and it's the level of like the amount of color changes rather than the colors changing, which I felt like was really interesting. And it gives it that, I don't know. I think the, what you said about between the fuzziness of memory and the specificity, specificity of, a of a photograph is like <clears throat> a really perfect mm-hmm. way of describing the art style in general. It's like a little bit faded. It's kind of, flat it's not full color like memory but then there's all these details and like you've got like the books on the shelf and the names of the books and the like those tiny details and and that's also how memory works where you remember really specific things but then also around that specific thing is just kind of a vague bluish mist um so yeah i really liked it do you feel like um do you feel like your emotional vocabulary got expanded? Or rather do you feel like your your sympathy with people who cuz like you like you and I have never had a period where like there's like this really beautiful, you know, chapter where she talks about like you know like how horrid and like you know like her experience of like going through menstruation for the first time. Yeah. Um I mean, I think, yeah, it was an 
it was an like a life experience that I not super familiar with. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I'm, maybe too, yeah. Yeah. I'm tangentially connected to people who've had experiences. I mean, well, like I, you are the you're yeah. Well, you and I are like you know because we don't have any brothers. You have what three sisters? I have two sisters. Yeah. yeah. And I know you, and like I know that as I was reading this, I I knew some of this was like very relevant to you because you from rural Pennsylvania, yeah. and I knew your story pretty well. And so I think knowing you probably, if I'd read it like before I met you, that probably would have been more of an eye opener. Yeah. There's there's one part but, where she, where uh, she has a she has someone from her college make make fun of the way that she says uh, dayud rather than dad <laughs> dayud, which is a very yeah yeah yeah. But yeah, I mean it's uh, <clears throat> no it like and the way it the way it does all of it like you're saying you might say you want it to be 2000 pages but it's not that long it's pretty short and it's like it's very easily digested and it you can get so much in such a short time yeah from it it's like so cohesively delivered yeah all those elements and yeah and it's very moving and yeah on top of all like this like uh on top of all of the aspects of being homosexual and dealing with your parents and the emotions aspect it's also just like a really good love letter to literature and so like it is like if you if you're listening to this and you have like a young english major it's like this is such a great book for him because it does it's like such a great little like survey also on top of that just makes me want to reread oscar wilde it's like this wonderful part where you know her mom's in the play yeah 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 any other questions for me? You don't have to. Totally optional. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like we covered. I feel like we covered a lot. Okay. Yeah. We did. I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah in terms of how does this how does this place um, because you're a bigger graphic, you're you're bigger. You mean more sequential narratives than I do. I think that's like the academic term for it. So like what, um, how does this place among all of the other like graphic novel, sequential narrative kind of things that you've read? Um, I mean, cause it's, it's cause it is like a, it is like a different beast, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I would put it pretty high up there. Yeah. I mean, in terms of just like meaningfulness, I can't think of another one off the top of my head that, I mean, I love saga and that's a much more kind of entertaining story that has fun and humor in it, but it's also about like family family and hatred and tribalism and like, how do you break down those barriers and how do those things hurt individuals and power and like oppression and all those things and 
I don't know, patriarchy and like social conflict and like cultural conflict of ideas. And so I feel like in that sense, like saga is in terms of like fun comic books, I'm like saga is the best. Um, Did you read um, Understanding Comics? Yeah. Scott McCloud? Yeah. That's another book that I always want to give to people. Yeah, it's super good. Yeah. I think like this, I mean. I've I've given this book, I think, at least 12 times. I'm surprised I didn't give it to you before. Um, yeah. yeah, this is one of those, this is during during the time that I read it, for the first time, I think I bought, like, it was one of those books you give, you buy nine copies and you just kind of yeah. give, them, give them to the people around you. Yeah. For, for sheer meaningfulness, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, like, we talked about Mouse. I can't really think of yeah, I mean, anything like, else. Like, there's like maybe... There's and I know maybe they're four, out there. I know they're out there, too. There's like maybe like four or five of them out there that kind of reach this like top tier of like what... Like this is a... It's like almost like a genre of one, kind of. So the, ver- the very last thing we do is I give you a recommendation. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> It doesn't necessarily have to be the last thing, but it's the last it's the last item on the agenda. Um, and so, like you were saying, because this is kind of a genre of one, it's tricky. Um, it's kind of it's tricky for me to think of what exactly to recommend to you. Um, and this morning I thought of one, which I don't know if you've read it or not, but have you have you read H's for Hawk yet? No, no. You told me to read it though after after you read it. Yeah. So that that is one I would recommend. It's not yeah. the one that I had written down. I, I was just re- like, what you written down? Um, because I had a, H's, H's for Hawk has been on my list for so long, but I just recently read Peregrine with you. Yeah. Like, where I'm like, I think I'm okay with bird books for another ten years. But H's, so. H's for Hawk <laughs> is like a combination, like biography of th white mm-hmm. and memoir about her dad because she like she goes and buys this hawk after her dad dies mm-hmm. and then like uses the experience of training the hawk to kind of process oh my grief God. and oh, man. life after it's gonna ruin me that yeah um and so that kind of i mean that's the that's the connection there is it's like it's a literary book. It's about books and what they mean. And it's, I mean, it's also about homosexuality a little bit because um, I don't remember all the details, but that's part of like T.H. White's story. Mm-hmm. And then it's about grief. And I never realized T.H. White was gay. That's a... I mean, I feel like wizards are inherently pretty homosexual. That's it's one of my secret desires is to be a gay wizard. Let's be careful before we. Um, yeah, check the check of the collective memory. Um, I'm uh, now now that we're getting towards the end, I'm getting nervous that I'm missing some pretty vital things about what to talk about with the story because like I think if you missed anything, the stuff that you didn't miss yeah. has been so good. So, I okay, yeah, because like there's. Because like she's so important to, especially to she's so important, especially to um, the lesbian community, that like I've and like I would be horrified if I 
said or omitted anything about it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I guess according to a biography of T.H. White, he was homosexual and a sadomasochist, is the quote. Yeah. Um, but then people have kind of disputed. Some people have said uh, yes. Some people who knew him said no. So it's debated, but it's part of it's part of the story. Yeah. And I mean, if it is, if he was, then he was closeted and yeah that's like and like talk about revising your history like all these novels that i used to gravitate towards like it's something 20 percent of all i don't want to say 20 percent. we'll say 12 percent of all great literature was written by closeted homosexuals (laughs) it's like it's hard to read melville now where you're like oh yeah you know it's melville whitman oscar wilde bruce yeah yeah it's a lot of giants So that could be my recommendation. It's a pretty good one, I think. I mean, it's a good book, for sure. I feel like like this book made me also love Virginia Woolf a little bit more, too. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading, like, To the Lighthouse around the same time, and, like, that, like, reading this in To the Lighthouse was, like, you know, for a a white kid growing up in, like, a homophobic part of Pennsylvania, like, and racist, like, you know, reading those two, you're kind of like, shit. It's like what else what else did I not see? Um Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like what else? Um but I can tell so I can tell you what the book I had written down mm-hmm. to be my recommendation, and I felt like this was a little bit of uh cheating. I mean, I had already recommended H's for Hawk to you, but this is a book I've already recommended to you in the past, and I was like, maybe I can just use this as an opportunity to yeah, make it official. I was thinking, potentially, Augustus by John Williams. Oh, yeah. Because I I love that book. It's, it's so good. And it's about, it's really about, like, like these super complicated family relationships yeah. of, like, Julius Caesar and Augustus, and then, like, the sort of politics of the succession and then how Augustus's reign kind of plays out. And it's, it's all, it's all personal because it's, it's fictional and it's told through these letters. It's an epistolary novel, right? So it's told through like letters and documents. So it's all personal and it's all, it's like this person writes a letter to this person this person writes a letter to this person. It's just about those like complicated interpersonal relationships. And I thought that that maybe was a decent hook to fun home or complicated interpersonal relationships. I read it. And it's just a book that I want you to read. And I was like, H is for Hawk might be more of an on the nose recommendation. Yeah. And, like, that's always my dilemma is, like, do I just try to think of the book that's the most similar to the yeah. book? Or the book, yeah. But. Or something where it's just, like, yeah, rec- rec- recommending is always kind of like that. Where, like, you yeah. never really know how far to stray. 
And it's like, if you already love this, you don't need a second this, right? Yeah. Well, there is no yeah. second. There is no second this, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. I have Alison Bechtel, man. Oh, I love her. Let me think. There's, there's like all the stuff that I'm not talking about that like I can't really. But that's okay. Yeah, no, it's just my, it's my favorite book. You can come back later if you want. Yeah, and okay. also because there's always like you know that there's always like that kind of like a that caveat you always want to get where it's like two guys talking about a book by this lesbian woman and like I wish I had like a like like a more coherent lesbian perspective to kind of like talk about it, but like. But you have, your like pers- pretty, you have your perspective. Yeah, but like that's, that's just, what that's just I kind want. Of like that's just kind of like pretty. I don't know. The book. There are so many different ways I think to kind of read the book. Um, isn't the book itself a coherent? Oh yeah, lesbian yeah, yeah, perspective yeah, on obviously, obviously, itself. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, just like in, in discussing it, where like I'm sure there, are, I'm sure there are aspects of the book that are like way more important than I'm giving it any credit for. Because it is, like, you know, it's like I've, I'll, I'll view this book and, like, relate so much to Allison and relate so much to her father. And it's just, like, so... Got some birds. Um, you know, I'll relate so much to Allison. I'll, re- I'll relate so much to her father. And it's just... You know, it's you kind of get, like, a one-two punch, too, with, like, you know, the stories of coming out or not coming out, about what the nature of being in the closet is. And I think, and it's like, and then kind of like really, it gives you like a double narrative. So like, even though the book's only 200 pages, like you feel like it's a little bit longer too. Cause like, you know, you're not just getting one story of coming out, you're getting another story of not coming out. And like that tension is like, you know, it's that beating heart of the book. It's so beautiful. I don't, I don't want you to feel bad or like I feel bad we've about, missed I, anything. I feel bad about everything, Brian. Because the, the point of this project, the point of this podcast is that people connect with books not because of the book but because of themselves yeah so you're you love this book i mean yeah because the book was lovable right but you love it for different reasons than anyone else who loves it right yeah so that's that's what we that's why you're here to tell us about that so that's what we want to know yeah no one else can tell us yeah the same story about loving this book. Yeah. Which is, I mean, of all the podcast ideas you've had, I think this is very much my favorite one. And maybe I can, maybe someone else someday will come on and talk about this book from their perspective. And then we can compare and then we can get both of you to come together and do a fun home book club. Fun home podcast. Um, yeah. I recommend cause you already read Persepolis. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's Marjane Satrapi, I think. Um, uh, the Velvet Rage is also really good. It's a nonfiction one. And, like, you know, the, the Velvet Rage is all about... Um, it really is, like, a book describing Bruce, where it's uh, the whole thing's about just the inherent trauma of growing up gay in America. Of, like, you know, it's an, you could come from, like, you know, the most loving, supportive family, but just being gay in America, there's things you need to process and stuff like that. Where in Bruce's case, not process. Um... You know, I, there was so much that I could have talked about, but that, like, cause like being married to someone who's trans is also like another, like, that's a different, that's a different book and a different podcast. Um, Uh, like just, but just like just, just the one, 
because like, there's because there's like turn this that henry james another closeted homosexual it's turn of the screw right and so turn of the screw number one you're intelligent and life is maybe you're noticing things that a lot of people aren't noticing so it's like turn of the screw number one and then you're a homosexual and then you're a homosexual who's also trans and so like you got one screw two screws and the poor oscars three screws <laughs> um so there are things that i would have wanted to talk about um, in regards to my marriage with him that I wouldn't have been able to really kind of talk about in any coherent way. Yeah. Cause that's like, that's a two hour conversation. Cause that's then that, like that's, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at with. And something that I've wanted that I'm trying to attempt to talk about is like one of the reasons why I didn't come out the second time that I read this book was that I was married to a quote woman. I was married to someone who was female bodied. Um, and it's a paradox because the only reason why the relationship with that quote female body with like, you know, with Oscar pre-transition was the only reason why I worked was because he was trans. And so that's a weird thing to kind of explain to yeah. straight people where it's just like, that's the only reason why my marriage worked was because they, because they were trans before coming out. And, but at the same time I couldn't, but at the same time I also couldn't come out. And so you're like in a weird trap. Yeah, and that's kind of what the new piece that I'm trying to write about is, but it's it's really hard to articulate. Um, but yeah, like you know, I knew, like I knew I was gay when I was 11, and then I had like my first gay experience when I was 17, and then I just kind of shoved it down. I was like, I did not, I did not want to be gay. Yeah, and that's a big part of you know me going to therapy once a week and yeah, and all you, of that. You've watched, you've watched Nanette, haven't you? Yes. Oh, it's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. And, um, she, and she and she describes it perfectly. Yeah, the way she articulates, yes. like, you grow yeah. up in this homophobic world, and, you and you're help. so steeped in it that so, by the time help. you realize yeah. you're gay, you hate yourself. You hate yourself so much. And so, and that's, once again, going to therapy because I just hate myself so, so very much. There's always that internal straight policeman that you have in your head that says that you're not allowed to be gay. And, yeah, the straight policeman in your head. Yeah, the straight policeman in your head. Is that something? Uh, is that like a, that's a reference to something that I I can't remember because it's early in the morning. That's a that's excellent. That might be from co thing, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a straight policeman in your head telling you that you can't be gay, and so what do you do with it? Yeah. You know, it's just like you know, uh, even though like I I couldn't articulate, I couldn't say out loud to myself that I was gay because you know I was in this, I was in. I met Oscar in 2008, dude, you know, right after college. And like, it was this relief of like, oh my God, I'm with, I'm with a quote woman and it's working and it never worked before. And thank God I'm not gay. Thank God I'm not gay. I was so happy. I was so fucking happy that I didn't have to come out. And that's where, like, that's that story where it's like, I like almost became a monk because like, I would have rather have been celibate my entire life than tell or talked or articulate to anyone my my desires um and then of course like you know and that's that part of that Gottman interview that you know that we published was that that's exactly what that's about it's about um yeah it's about like you know him coming out saved our marriage but it also it also saved my life like in a, in a real in a very real way that's kind of hard to talk to people about and so of course i'm sure you're still recording this and talking about it in the podcast but it is still recording but yeah you can include someone you can include whatever you know i mean uh, like i feel so bad because i know oscar um i mean really loves his privacy and he has the misfortune of being married to me and i just want to talk to yeah. everyone about all of it <laughs> well yeah you don't want to 
it's your story, but it's also not your story. Exactly. And that's my, and that's my binary star. If I would write yeah. this book, it would be about me and Oscar because like, you know, his, his homosexuality is so intertwined with my homosexuality and his story is so intertwined with my story where it's just like, you know, I have, yeah, my life would have been completely different without him. And I've only been able to process my sexuality via my marriage to, to a trans man who is gay. If that makes sense. It makes sense to me. Well, it's because you're an empathetic person who doesn't live in South Carolina and ban books. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone, if anyone is Sorry, listening who feels about, like they should want to ban this book, you can fuck off. <laughs> That's a good place to end it.